Hi, and welcome back to another episode of In Our Tech Society. I think at the moment, it's particularly easy to despair for the future of humanity. The list of problems that humanity seems to face is long and none of them have simple answers. But if we take just two of these problems, the climate crisis and the regulation of AI, could we reframe them not as two separate problems, but different sides of the same coin? And would this give an insight about how they could be tackled with a joint approach? My guest today is a leading thinker on technology, and he has argued just that. And whether or not you agree with him, I think he has some really valuable insights about how we can think about these problems differently and potentially in a more constructive way. So without further ado, here is today's guest. Hi, I'm uh, Mark Kuckelberg. I'm a professor of philosophy of technology here at the University of Vienna. And um, I, I'm interested in the uh, ethics of AI and robotics. Um, I'm author of a book called AI Ethics, and uh, this week another one came out, Robot Ethics. Um, so that gives a, a kind of overview of issues raised by by robotics and automation. Um, I'm also very interested in uh, more the political side of technologies. What kind of political significance and impact do advanced technologies have on on citizens, on our society? Yeah, that's that's it. So we're going to focus on the political aspect there. Um, I haven't had a chance to read your new book yet, but I'm really excited to. And you also have several really thought-provoking books that we could have talked about today on topics from the political philosophy of AI to romanticism and cyborgs. But the one we're going to focus on is called Green Leviathan or The Poetics of Political Liberty. In this, you argue that the situations we find ourselves in with, on the one hand, the challenge of regulating AI, and on the other hand, the climate crisis, are both analogous to the state of nature in political theory. Now, just to introduce the state of nature, it's a concept a lot of political thinkers have used to try to justify or understand the role of the state. And it's basically an answer to the question, what would society look like before a state? Thomas Hobbes um, has an answer to this question, the Hobbesian state of nature, which is a situation of constant war, competition and violence. And his argument is that without a state, what you have is a power vacuum in which people are insecure in their positions. It's everyone for themselves. And that leads to violence. So with that really stark image in mind, why do you argue in your book that both AI regulation and the climate crisis are analogous to this? Yes, in, in my book, Green Leviathan, I argue that um, one way to look at what's happening now is that we, um, we have a kind of state of nature with regard to how we deal with the environmental crisis, climate crisis, um, not in the sense of citizens uh, being at war with one another or something, but in the sense that Every country does their own thing, and uh, you know some of that is is a world where uh, no one seems to take responsibility uh, for dealing with the crisis, where where our efforts are also not coordinated. Um, so we, in that sense, we are in a in a Hobbesian situation um, without really a, a central power to um, who could you know take collective action at the level of of the planet. To deal with the crisis. And is that equally true with AI? I can see 
a lot of people can see that with, with climate change, but how does that relate to AI as well? Yeah, so I think the case of AI is that um, currently also countries are each each are developing their own strategies and, and regulation or different parts of the world at least. And um, so I think there's a lack of uh, harmonization between these different approaches especially i think with ai the problem is that i mean we're talking about software we're talking about data and they, data don't know borders so they they travel everywhere and the software is used uh, you know usually developed in one part of the world say silicon valley or um, or china and, and just going everywhere so i think if we want to deal with the challenges of artificial intelligence we have a similar problem that today there there is too little coordination uh, at global level, and so I, th I think um, we urgently need at least international action to 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 do something about that. So, when Hobbes talks about Leviathan in his book of the same name, um, the solution that he comes up with obviously is an all-powerful kind of authoritarian state. And there's some debate about how to interpret this, but most people would say authoritarian state. Um, and this state has to be able to see everything to be able to properly keep the peace, which kind of implies some degree of surveillance. I don't know. How, how do you link this idea of Leviathan with the surveillance that we start to see now? Yeah, we, we have uh, more and more authoritarian tendencies in this world. Now, look, you know, going back again to the Leviathan um, story, I think uh, the, the way we can understand this is to... Um, to see Hobbes as presenting a choice between either complete freedom, say what like extreme libertarians want, uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, this authoritarian state. And if that's a choice, then um, things don't look very good for us, because then we, we have either more or less what we have now with regard to the climate crisis and AI, or we, we move towards that authoritarian system. And... In the book, I argue against Hobbes, um, saying that that this is not the only choice we face. Um, we we can also do something in the middle, and we can understand freedom in a different way. Instead of understanding freedom as uh, absolutely doing what you want, we can also think of freedom as what I call, you know, in, in terms of the um, the political philosophical tradition, um, more positive freedom. Um, meaning in this case, not so much the self-mastery that some philosophers like Isaiah Berlin argued about, but more uh, positive freedom in a sense of like, you know, asking the question, uh, freedom to do what? Um, what can we do with our freedom? Which capabilities also do we have? Um, I'm inspired there by Martha Nussbaum and Martia Sen's work. Uh, so w what can we actually do? What do we want to do with our freedom? Um, what capabilities pe people have, uh, how can we empower people. Um, and this opens up a perspective where we can talk about ethics, where we can talk about justice also at a global level. And I think that's much more fruitful when um, discussing environmental problems, especially if we see that the benefits and the, the disadvantages are not shared equally in the world. Some benefit more than others. And I think we need to raise that kind of questions. Um, and I think if we stick to a Hobbesian 
uh, worldview, then then we you know we only have the choice between that extreme freedom and authoritarianism. I think there's a lot in between. We can regulate AI. We can um, create a world where um, not everything is possible, where there's no absolute freedom with regard to environmentally uh, bad actions, but at the same time where uh, where we think about these issues regarding justice, where we think about how can we help people to uh, realize their potential and so on. So I, I yeah, develop a different way of looking at freedom and, and politics um, away from that, that Hobbesian tradition, um, but still sympathetic to, um, to, a, to a liberal philosophical perspective. And how, how does that solve the, the problem of the state of nature? Like, how, how is it possible to solve that with positive freedom? I think it's solving that way that, that, that the problem is redefined. So basically, um, instead of saying that we, we have that choice between that extreme freedom and authoritarianism, um, and that if we don't have authoritarianism, we, we always have this uh, basic kind of fights between people. Um, here there's a belief in yeah, the, the ideal that, that people cooperate that people also are able to cooperate so it's a different view of human nature uh, that, that that's present in for example jean-jacques rousseau's work and um yeah it's it's a more optimistic view of human nature so that the solution is um instead of the authoritarian state the solution is to see people as not necessarily kind of people who, who have nasty fights and who are yeah violent by nature but rather seeing people as as naturally cooperative and and drawing on that um, to try to to build um, societies and uh, global cooperation to deal with the crisis um, and i think that that that's a much more positive optimistic view um, and a view that's also more accurate in terms of looking at humans humans are not only um, you know in competition they're also really capable at cooperation and um, I think if we draw on that, we can we can have a, a politics that's yeah more constructive and looking uh, towards a common aim and, and and a common good. Just slightly tangentially, but on that theme of of freedom, we talk a lot about surveillance when it comes to AI and and the increasing power of large corporations and the amount of data that they have. And in this context, a lot of people talk about. Jeremy Bentham's Panopticon. Just to clarify that, Jeremy Bentham was arguing for reforms to English prisons, and he sat down and designed what he thought was the ideal prison, which he called the Panopticon. And in this ideal prison, a guard could sit in a watchtower and watch every prisoner. And crucially, none of the prisoners could tell when they were being watched. Bentham thought that this constant possibility of surveillance would make prisoners behave well. Um, and this has drawn a lot of recent comparisons in terms of the possibility of constantly being watched with technologies like social media, um, increasing number of CCTV cameras in major cities, uh, facial recognition. How useful do you think that concept is to apply here? And Kind of one one thing I've been wondering as well is what the relationship between freedom and surveillance really is in that because kind of the point of the panopticon is that the prisoners 
regulate themselves almost because they think they're being watched so that they you don't really need any guards you just leave them to to regulate themselves um yeah what what are your thoughts on like freedom and surveillance and the relationship between them yeah so the the, the panopticon is about like prisoners being being watched uh, or at least giving them the feeling that they're watched and and in that way regulate their behavior on the one hand, it might be attractive to some people to say like, oh, why not having, for example, a green authoritarianism because we can um, influence the behavior of people in a more environmentally um, friendly direction. Um, however, this is this is very problematic, of course. We, we don't want this authoritarian solution. But on the other hand, uh, just leaving people free is also problematic. Um, so we need to do something. We need to 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 um, still perhaps influence people. Um, but what's currently happening, I think, is that we move more in the authoritarian direction. Not so so much maybe in the West by having authoritarian states, although there are also fascist tendencies. But um, especially because the the power to define our technology and the power to to use them. Is, uh, is very unevenly distributed. So some people develop the technology and decide in that way how our lives look like and can also use monitoring surveillance, um, whereas other people are the, the passive subjects, the, the subjected ones, and, and are resembling always more the, the Bantam type of prisoners. Um, so... I think we really need to do something about that. I think we need to um, address the issue of democracy and AI, authoritarianism and AI, um, and yeah, try to develop these other concepts of freedom, talk about justice, inequalities, rather than thinking that, that we just can let things go, that we just have this laissez-faire system, um, which in the end... You know, might turn into its opposite, uh, might turn into an authoritarian one, um, one that's led by either a fascist state, for example, or by by huge corporations who get so much power over our lives and use so much surveillance and and influencing of our behavior that we, you know, um, slowly but surely move also towards an authoritarian uh, situation. Um, so that, that's very important, I think, to to get that right, to um, develop and use AI and automation technologies in ways that support human freedom in a richer sense, like you know, taking into account the, the needs, capabilities, and development of people, um, and in ways that that are neither neither leave people totally free nor uh, go towards an authoritarian state, and. We, we have actually examples of that in the world. Um, we, we don't have to choose between these two extremes. We have many systems where there is regulation of AI, where there is some regulation of people, if you like, um, uh, perhaps some surveillance, but um, where there's still su a sufficient degree of freedom. We just need to, to, yeah, to find the right balance and um, also find ways to use AI for human development, for human flourishing, uh, and, and use it in a, in a way that's just, that's inclusive and does not further worsen the um, existing power inequalities in society.
Um, which um, countries do you have in mind when you say that some places have sort of got that balance? Well, I think the part of the world where I come from, um, Europe, uh, perhaps a bit more Western Europe, uh, I think there's, there's at least attempts to find that balance. Um, balance doesn't mean stability. I think political discussion about these things continues. Um, there, there's not like a, a sort of stable equilibrium or something. Um, but there are systems in Western Europe, I think, that, that do try to get the middle road between extreme libertarian approaches and authoritarianism, where the state does see a role for it as, as regulating people's behavior, however, in, in ways that try to avoid authoritarianism. I'm not saying that things are perfect in that part of the world. I'm not saying that that a good balance has been found. Um, but what I'm saying is that there are other options than than the two extremes which we see today. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's important to realize that that um, that these are possibilities and that we don't limit the political imagination to to these extremes and 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 that we move beyond this Hobbesian. Um, way of thinking. And when it comes to this question of authoritarianism and freedom, a lot of political theorists, when they've talked about it, certainly traditionally, certainly, let's say before the 1900s, were essentially concerned with the state. The key issue to them was that because the state has an army and therefore can use force, it's the state that is the main threat of oppression in society. But that's not the only form of surveillance we're really worried about at the moment. It's especially like when we talk about surveillance, we're also really worried about large corporations. And it seems there's there's a role for the state in restricting their power, even if we're worried about surveillance. I don't know. How do you how do you make sense of that complication of the picture? Yeah, I think that that we we see today that these um there's some powerful non-state actors like big corporations um, have so much power in the tech field that they really dominate it and that they make the rules. And I think for a democracy, that's really problematic. Also, they practice forms of surveillance that go way beyond what many states are doing at the moment and what many states can do. So it's also capabilities of surveillance are really increasing there. So if we just let them do what they do, then we, we also move to a form of more form of authoritarianism and highly unequal power distribution. So <clears throat> I think it's up to the to democracies to 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 limit their power and to work with them to uh, find ways of doing this more democratically. I think, however, that in our society we we lack the institutions that are able to do that. The traditional sort of 19th century parliament is maybe not sufficient. Um, maybe we need ways of um, mediating between the tech experts and 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 democratically elected people. And and yeah, we we need to find new balances between um, experts and and um, and politicians um, and try to yeah to find ways to organize it in a more democratic yet very well informed way. This, this is, I think, a huge challenge for societies now and in the near future.
we, we saw in the pandemic that societies are struggling with this um, tension between expertise and democracy. I think we will see much more of that um, also with regard to, to tech, um, tech reg regulation. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's good that political philosophers and political theorists help us in thinking about thinking through these issues and, and yeah, think about how can we imagine a change to our institutions that yeah, avoids the kind of uh, more authoritarian and totalitarian tendencies. Um, and and one, one thing that can already be done today is, be, you know, next to this bigger project of changing the institutions is, of course, regulation of these companies and, and regulation of AI that's used for surveillance. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's too much hesitation at the moment to do that. I think if we don't take action soon there, we will have um, huge problems in, in the way we treat people, um, problems in terms of ethics, politics, term, in terms of human rights, rule of law, and so on, um, because there's much more surveillance and automation of, uh, of different processes, security, um, justice, and so on. So I, th I think we really need to be careful there, both towards what the state does um, and also what, what the companies are doing. Think about social media, how much data these companies have of us. Um, think also about the sort of horizontal peer surveillance that is stimulated. So it's, it's not only even states and companies, it's also that um, we keep watching each other. So, um, you know, the, the, the Bentamian picture of the panopticon needs to be modified in such a way that also the prisoners watch them, watch each other. Um, so there's also sort of peer surveillance going on. If this continues, we, we, yeah, we really live in, in that panopticon and I, I don't think we, we want that. So, um, but it means becoming aware of the, the dangers and becoming aware that also we, we are not helpless there, that we can regulate, we can limit the power of these corporations, um, and we can limit the possibilities for different forms of surveillance by different kinds of actors. And just finally, on this topic of um, expertise versus other, like whether they have democratic support, etc., um, the other thinker that you mention in your book, well, one of them is Plato, who talks about the kinds of virtues and character traits that a, a good ruler needs to have. How do you think we should apply that in the context of AI? Is it about putting scientists in position of power or is it about educating our existing political leaders or, or a combination? Yeah, I think um, Plato's view on, on this is that uh, the philosopher kings should, should rule. And I think that's um, on the one hand, it's a very problematic idea. Uh, I don't think we should go that way because it points towards um, yeah, the rule of, of, of experts. I think we need to, um, to make sure that we still keep a democratic system. Um, on the other hand, what, what Plato got right, I think, is that we cannot totally do without expertise. Um, and I see tendencies, for example... Um, you know, in the in the U.S. at the time of of President Trump, 
uh, I see tendencies of anti-intellectualism and anti, uh, you know, anti-expertise, and and I think that's very dangerous in a democracy. I think if a democracy um, just means that you know people vote, and if it just means this kind of thin ideal of democ uh, majority rule, I think that's that's not enough. We we need actually uh, a knowledge base of society, and that means getting in the experts. But also, more importantly, for um, a sort of richer ideal of democracy, educating the citizens properly. Um, and so in countries where education is unequally distributed, like in the US, I think there's a danger that uh, where good education is unequally distributed, there's a danger that that democracy itself is also uh, under threat. And um, if, if that happens, there's even less chance to deal with the huge challenges raised by um, new advanced technologies such as AI and indeed uh, less chance to deal with uh, the climate crisis. That's a really good note to end on. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Mark. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this more philosophical episode, check out our episode Defying Death, which is about the ethics of a transhumanist movement trying to do exactly that. And also neoliberalism's work paradox, which is about whether automation and AI mean that we should think about work differently. If you don't already, you can follow us on Twitter at Ethics Tech Pod or Instagram in our tech society. That's an underscore between each word. And next time we're talking about an intriguing new report on how seemingly innocuous doorstep cameras can impact the lives of gig economy workers. See you then.